Good morning. Please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Thank you, church. Thank you, elders and leadership for giving me this opportunity. This is a great opportunity. This church is a great place to cultivate teachers and to learn how to teach and to learn how to study the Bible, too. John chapter 4. We will be starting in verse 43. And we'll be reading till the end of the chapter. I am reading out of the NKJV. John chapter 4, verse 43. Now after two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast. For they also had gone to the feast. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Verse 50. Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Verse 52. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that this was at the same hour in which Jesus had said to him, Your son lives. And he humbled himself. No, and he himself believed and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, righteous, holy God, so merciful to me, a sinner. Thank you, Father, for this wonderful day, this day where we can learn from your word, Lord. Please open our hearts and our minds to hear the word, to learn from it, to apply it to our lives, Lord. Thank you for changing us. Thank you for saving us, Lord. Lord, please bless this reading of this word to our hearts that we may go away today being filled and learning. We thank you for everything, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So last time I was given this opportunity, I covered the first 40 or so verses of John chapter 4, and we discuss the woman at the well. So for a little bit of background of what's going on in John chapter 4, verse 43, now after two days he departed from there and went to Galilee. So Jesus, at the beginning of the book, he had done his first miracle in Cana up in Galilee, which he turned the water into wine. And then after that, and his reputation spread, he went down to Judea, which is south, um, and he did miracles down there. And he got much reputation from those miracles, as we'll see later in this passage. Um, and then once he was done there, he decided to go back up to Galilee to continue his ministry. But instead of going around Samaria like most of the Jews did, he said he had needs to go through Samaria, and which he did. He met the woman at the well, which was why he was going through Samaria. He had the interview with her, and then much of the Gal not Galileans, Samarians believed. And then he continued north, and he is now in Cana. So 
That is some background of where he is at and what has gone on in verse 43. Verse 44. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So this may seem out of place because it just described that Jesus had left from Samaria after staying there for two days. And now he's going up to Galilee. And it says that he has no honor in his own country. Um, This makes more sense if you look at a map and you realize where Cana is. Um, Cana is north of Nazareth or northwest of Nazareth. So Jesus likely passed through or passed by Nazareth to get up to Cana. So this makes sense because of all the people that Jesus has talked to and have many people have seen his miracles, the people from his own town, his hometown, are likely the ones who wouldn't believe because they knew him his whole life and they would assume, oh, you haven't done any miracles up until now. You're just another one of us. But this does set the stage, which is why this isn't out of place. It sets the stage for the unbelief that we see here in Galilee and we see here in this passage. Now, It says in verse 45, So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. Now, it doesn't specifically say what feast it is, although it's likely the Passover feast. Um, But they did, the Galileans had gone down to Jerusalem. They had seen the works that he had done there, and they wanted to see more. So for reference, they're talking about John chapter 2, if you'd like to turn there. John chapter 2, verse 23. In John chapter 2, verse 23, it says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. So Jesus did many miracles down there during the time he was down there and others were down there. And they saw all this. So in verse 45, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him. Now this, this might be a bit ironic because later we see that even though they received him, they did not believe him, and Jesus calls it out later. But they did come to him now. They wanted to see more because he had done so many miracles at the feast. Although the, the, the works that he did back in Jerusalem are unrecorded, um, just to let you know. In verse 46, So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. So Jesus returns to the very place that he started his ministry and where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. So later we, wait, this certain nobleman, the word that's used for nobleman here, um, it can mean royal or it can mean a king's official Um, someone who served the king or a noble himself, which is why it's likely translated nobleman. Um, This is not the average Galilean crowd. This is a nobleman who's going up to him and likely has heard of what Jesus has done. What's also interesting is his son is sick at Capernaum. So this nobleman's from Capernaum, which is about 15 to 25 miles away from Cana. So Jesus' reputation is, had grown so much that him just going up to Cana had spread all the way to the east in Capernaum. This man was someone important, someone official. Um, We don't know if he was a king. We don't know if he served a king. Um, But 
Regardless, he was an official, and he was seeking Jesus because his son was sick. Now, Jesus had been approached a few times, um, at least later in the book, but before this, Jesus was only approached by Nicodemus in chapter 3, and Nicodemus came at night. Um, We don't know why. It was likely in secret. But Nicodemus approached Jesus back in chapter 3, and he had, Jesus himself had gone out of the way to approach the woman at the well. But this time, it's an official person, just like Nicodemus, who is approaching Jesus. So while we got to see the contrast before of someone official approaching Jesus and not getting anything out of it, and then Jesus going and talking to the woman at the well, he sought her. Now we see a nobleman seeking Jesus, and he ends up getting something out of it. So we get to see all three different sides of how this ministry is progressing. Verse 47. When he, had, when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him, implored him, and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So as I already mentioned, Capernaum is 15 to 25 miles away, um, traveling on foot from Cana, and Capernaum is on the northwestern coast of the Sea of Galilee. So this was a long trip, um, and news about Jesus had spread very far. And he implored Jesus. That's a good, good choice of word there. Implored means begged. Um, he sought Jesus specifically to heal his son because he had heard of these works. So he assumed, or at least knew, that Jesus was a miracle worker. He believed that much. He had heard the stories and he believed it. Or maybe perhaps he himself had been down at Jerusalem during the Passover. He may have been a Jew. We don't know this. Regardless, he makes a few assumptions here. This is interesting. He implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So he makes the first assumption that Jesus needs to go there to heal the son. But then he also, he's assuming that Jesus has to hurry, otherwise the boy will die. And therefore now Jesus can't do anything about that. (laughs) Um, We'll see later that that is incorrect with the story of Lazarus. But he is seeking Jesus. Old, young, rich, poor, all these powers, riches, um, nothing can stop sickness, death, and disease. Eventually, it'll catch up to everyone. And this nobleman, no matter how rich he was or how famous or prosperous he was or influential, he couldn't keep his son from getting sick. And he was right to humble himself and approach Jesus. His son was at the point of death, and he was desperate. And so he goes to Jesus, and we see even the richest people in the world become beggars when they stand before God. Only proud people refuse to see their own mortality, um, their own frailty. Um, That is what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew 18, 2 through 4, which I'm going to turn to. Matthew 18. Starting in verse 2, Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I'd say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself is as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And we also read in Luke 18, verse 17, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. This is not a statement that says only kids go to heaven. 
This is a statement that says you have to be humble. You see, a, a child doesn't know everything. A child doesn't understand everything. But what a child does understand is his own insufficiency. A kid knows he can't do anything or everything. A kid knows he can't save himself. He can't really provide for himself. And that is what Jesus means. You have to approach God with a humbleness of heart, understanding that you're insufficient to save yourself. You're insufficient when it comes to matters of death. You can't keep yourself from death. The proud people, they will not see heaven. The arrogant people, the self-made men, um, the powerful-born nobles, the best of humanity, the kindest, kindest people ever, they won't see heaven. You have to humble yourself as a child. All of the, all the great people, all of the, the good people, all the richest people, all the mighty people, they will all have the same fate as Sodom if they do not receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. They have to humble themselves and realize their own insufficiency to repent of their sins and believe. And that is the only way to be saved. He says he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And Jesus died to pay for our sins. We can believe that. Otherwise, it's hopeless. We can gain as much riches as we want. That will not save us. And that is obvious. And that's the, that's the, the point here. Verse 48. Then Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Now, this seems to come out of nowhere. Um, the rich man had just asked Jesus to come save his son, but now Jesus is scolding him, but not just him. You see, the word for people, if you have the NKJV, you have people there, and it should be italicized because that's not in the original text. Instead, the you there is addressing a group of people. He is addressing more than just the nobleman. Whether the nobleman is a Jew or not, or a Galilean or not, it doesn't matter. He's addressing the nobleman and everyone else. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Jesus, Jesus is calling out their unbelief. This is a big contrast to Samaria, which Jesus had just passed through. Excuse me. He had passed through, and all those people heard the word and believed. This is a contrast. His own people don't believe him. In his own nation, he has no honor. They just want to come and see miracles. And Jesus, the words here, you will by no means believe. The no is emphasized. It might not be in English, but it's emphasized because they're, they're not even at the first step of belief. They have to see more and more miracles, more and more great wonders, and that's, that's all they want. Um, they're, they're at the first step of faith. They just want to see it. They've heard it. Now they want to see it. That is not like the Sumerians, which Jesus didn't perform a miracle for them. He just told the, the woman what she had done. She went and told everyone else, and then they all came, and they got to hear it, and many believed. There were, other than him telling her what she had done, there were no miracles, and yet they all believed. So Jesus is calling them out. In John, please turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, in verse 18. John chapter 2, verse 18. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show us since you do these things? And then also in verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. So many believed on him, but they still wanted to see signs. They still wanted a vindication of his message. They wanted him to prove who he really was. 
And of course, we see what Jesus tells to Thomas. Blessed are those who believe, but have not seen. So this response that Jesus gives, which is a bit of a harsh response, um, is very similar to the woman's response, the woman of Canaan, that we read in Matthew 15. You don't have to turn there um, unless you'd like. In Matthew 15, Jesus responds to a woman who was seeking him out. We covered this recently. Um, Not me, but someone else covered this recently. In Matthew 15, verses 23, it said, But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. The response here seems the same. Jesus is maybe harsh, but either way, he's, he's, he, they want something, and he is showing them there is an obstacle in the way. But he doesn't stop them. And they go the extra step. And she says, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. She still wanted it. She knew there was an obstacle, but she still wanted it. And he rewarded her afterwards. She sought Jesus for healing. And although it seems harsh, Jesus knows everyone's thoughts and hearts and intentions. And he deals with them each differently. Some people he turns away. Some people he gives parables to confuse them. Sometimes... Jesus shows them the one obstacle, but is still waiting. He still wants them to seek him. And that's what we see in verse 49. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. So the nobleman, he doesn't argue against Jesus' point. Instead, he just keeps pleading, Sir, come down before my child dies. So this nobleman at least believes the stories he's heard. He believes that Jesus can do miracles. So he's got the smallest amount of belief. Um, And this is very interesting. He beckons Jesus not to delay. And he still realizes his utter powerlessness to save his own child. He doesn't realize that Jesus can just speak a word and heal his son from the distance. He doesn't realize that. In Luke 17, 6, we read, So the Lord said, If you have the faith, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And in Matthew 17, verse 10, So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. This nobleman has the smallest amount of belief. But nowhere in those verses does it say that you have to have a great faith. Nowhere in there does it say you have to believe in Jesus with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and then the mountain will move. It says faith, the grain of a mustard seed. It's not the amount of faith. It's that you have faith at all. So, we keep reading in verse 50. Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. So this is amazing. The man 
he seeks Jesus to heal his son. And Jesus rewards those who sought after him, even if they don't really understand. You realize Jesus isn't harshly criticizing the man here for not understanding his power. He doesn't say, don't you know I'm the Messiah? He doesn't say, don't you know I can heal him from the distance? He doesn't say, don't you know I can bring him back from the dead? And he also doesn't say, your son has a sickness so that you would come to me. So I would tell you this so you can go home and then your whole household would believe, which is obviously the Lord's will, as we will see later. He doesn't say all that. He just calmly reassures the man, go your way, your son lives. Jesus assures him he does not need to be present to save the boy, very simply, by saying, go your way. And then he encourages him and says, your son lives. He doesn't say he will live. He says, your son lives. God's omnipotence is on display here. Now the man's faith is really put to the test. The man had the beginning of the faith. He had heard the stories. And then Jesus criticized them all for the darkness in their hearts. And then he's still willing to seek Jesus because he has no other option. He's desperate. There is no one else who could save his son. But now his faith is really put to the test because Jesus tells him, go your way. That's probably pretty scary. I imagine if I went to the hospital and said, hey, I really need medicine to fix my son because he's dying. And they said, oh, he'll be fine by tomorrow. I probably wouldn't just go home, (laughs) especially if he's at the point of death. I probably would get a confirmation, then go home. So the man's faith is really put to the test here. But he believes. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. He did not get a miracle. He did not get a sign. He stepped out in faith and believed what Jesus said. And then he turned and went home. And Jesus wouldn't go with him. So this man's faith has progressed from the smallest state of just an observer to actually trusting in what Jesus says. And he won't regret it, as we'll see in verse 51. And he was... Whoops. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, your son lives. Notice the phrasing is identical. Your son lives and your son lives. And these servants, who apparently are very close with their master because they can bolt out of the house and go 15 to 25 miles to meet their master halfway to tell him, hey, your son lives. So this is a long journey of trust. And I assume the master the entire time was probably panicking on the inside. Is my son actually going to be fine? But the man goes down to the Sea of Galilee. Now also notice it says down um, in verse, where where is it? Yes, in 51 it says going down. Uh, Capernaum's technically east and a little bit north of Cana, but it's lower elevation, so it's down to the sea um, if you look at a map. But he's going down there back to Capernaum, and that's where his servants meet him. And he hears, your son lives. So obviously he's extremely excited. Verse 52, then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father wanted to confirm. Of course, he's excited. He wants to hear all the news, but also he wants to confirm. Is this just a coincidence? Did his son, who was at the point of death, just miraculously heal, get healed? Or was this actually Jesus? And they told him his son had healed at the seventh hour. The fever left him. He'd gotten better. Verse 53. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives, and he himself believed, and his whole household. The father then realized, of course, realizing which hour it was, that Jesus had spoken the truth, 
Jesus had healed his son from a distance, and then he himself believed and his whole household. He believed the reports that Jesus was doing miracles before he went to Cana. And then he personally believed when he asked the Lord to come down twice. And then he believed again when Jesus told him to go on his way because his son was healed. Perhaps he didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. Perhaps he only thought that he was just a miracle worker. Regardless, he still believed because he had no other option. He was desperate. He couldn't save his son himself. Unlike the Galileans, which just wanted to see and see more, he never actually got to see the moment his son was healed. He was out of town, apparently. Um, He only got to witness the aftermath of the miracle. And the servants, they got to see the son be healed, but they didn't know anything about the conversation with Jesus. So they only have the stories to tell each other. But when his family saw and they heard the stories, they believed his whole household which further backs up the concept that his servants were very close to him and his son was very close to him. They were a close family and he cared very dearly for them. At the first miracle in Cana, the disciples believed. We read that back in John 2, verse 11. I will read it for you to save you from turning there. John 2, verse 11. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. And we see that throughout the beginning of John, he gives more and more stories, and each time, somebody believes or doesn't believe. We see with the disciples here, they believed. And then, obviously, in verse 23, many people believed when he did miracles in Jerusalem. And then, with John 3, he talks to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus doesn't believe, at least for that time. And then we see John 4, she believed. And now we're at the end of John 4, where this nobleman and his whole house believes. Jesus displayed first that he had absolute power over the physical universe by turning water into wine. And now he shows that distance and even physical danger is not an obstacle either. He is slowly giving them more and more proof and vindication that he really is the Christ. He really is God. And keep in mind, oh, I've never really read verse 54, sorry. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. So that's the second sign. So, God is not a cruel God. Sickness and pain um, often comes for the good and for a later good. God sometimes takes away earthly blessings so that we can see just how much we really need him. Um, there's, a, there's an old saying everybody likes to say, don't ask that God will make you humble because he will make you humble. <laughs> Pride goes before a fall. If you ask the Lord, Lord, give me humility, he will ridicule you, and everyone will make fun of you. If you ask the Lord, um, Lord, make me patient, he's going to put you through some trying times to teach you patience. Um, So be careful what you wish for, um, but at the same time, that's what's going on here. God will show us just how foolish we are in our own ideas of safety, in our own ideas of richness. Riches and positions never saved this man and his family from the things that really matter. Sickness and death, and then ultimately eternal life, they could never be gained through richness or power or influence. But when he humbly sought Jesus, he found more than he was ever expecting to find, something that money can't buy and glory can't earn. Jesus himself speaks in Matthew 19, 
Please turn to Matthew 19. Matthew 19, 23 through 25. Matthew 19, 23 through 25. Just how hard it is for a rich man to be saved. Matthew 19, starting in verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And yet Christ is so forgiving. God is so merciful that he would save this nobleman. And then think a step further. Here in America, we're blessed with riches and richness. Um, Many trust in that richness. Many think that they don't need God. Um, They don't need to repent. They've got everything they could need. But yet God is so good that he would save even us. This room is full of Americans mostly, and most of us are extremely well-blessed, and the rest of us are just very well-blessed. We're all blessed here in America, and we're all rich, at least compared to the rest of the world, and yet God still chose to save everyone here. And there are many other churches in America. There are many other places God has chose to save. It's clearly hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, and yet God can do the impossible, and he has saved us. Matthew 19, verses 21 through 22, just the two verses prior to what we read, Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler was asking what he had to do to be saved. And Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. It wasn't the riches that kept this man from heaven. It was that he cared more about the riches than about his eternal life. He cared more about the money, the glory of this world, his own happiness, than he cared about true happiness and joy that comes from Christ. And Jesus isn't saying that give everything you have away and then you'll go to heaven. No, no, he's calling out specifically this young man's problem. The thing that holds this young man back is his riches. And we can clearly have that problem here in America. This was the worst mistake he ever made. Um, And don't be confused. Humility, to humble yourself, is a sacrifice. It is putting away your pride and your riches and your dignity and your works because none of that can actually save you. In Mark 1, chapter, no, verse 15, it says, repent and believe the gospel. In Luke 13, 3, it says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So seek the Lord while he may be found. Draw upon him while he is near. And believe him when he said he would forgive you and save you. Your riches will not save you. Your pride will not save you. Your own works will not save you. There is only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. You must repent of your sins, humble yourself, and believe that he will save you because he said he would. So that is all I have for today, this morning. Thank you, everybody. I will close us in prayer, and then we'll stand and sing a hymn of commitment. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful day, Lord. Thank you, Father, for your great mercies and the blessings you have given us, Lord. We are all so very blessed. Thank you, Father, for your long-suffering and for your forgiveness. Thank you for sending your Son to die for us on a cross. Thank you, Lord, for not giving us what we deserve. Lord, everyone in this room who knows me well knows I do not deserve to be saved. 
They know I do not deserve to be up here. And yet, Lord, you forgive me because you said you would, and I believe that. Lord, you are willing to forgive everyone who will turn away from their sins and believe in you, Lord. Lord, we pray if there's anyone who has not heard the gospel, please, Lord, give them another opportunity. Lord, please make us brave and bold to go and proclaim the gospel to them. Thank you for your word, which we got to hear today, Lord. Help us to apply it to our lives. Thank you for all that you have done for us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.